You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. You are now entering Magnified Studios. Welcome. Coming to you from Magnified Studios, Magnified Pod presents Hard to Find a Podcast. Covering your favorite indie bands from the 90s Christian alternative scene. Put your tape decks on record. I'm Andrew. I'm John. This is our podcast. And John, we're not covering (laughs) the 90s Christian indie scene this week. Not this week. Not this week. We have a little bit of a uh, a different kind of episode, but in in some ways, it works it works well together. Yeah, um, we have a very special guest on mm. this week. Yeah, she lives in my house. Uh, <laughs> I, I love that. That that's, that's how her you, most important. That's uh, the, the, her credentials. Title. Yeah, yeah. She's, uh, lives at my house. Uh, <laughs> Like Danny stairs living under your stairs. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Jenny lives upstairs. Um, <laughs> no, my wife, Jenny with Potter, uh, eight timer. I want to say guest on the pod um, is coming on to talk about her new book, which we have uh, teased a few times over the last couple of years, but it's finally out. Um, so we wanted to get in depth in her book a little bit, um, talk about themes there, but yes, there are, there are crossover themes between the new Craig's brother record, which we will be discussing in the second segment and some of yep. what uh, we talk about with Jenny around racial justice, everyday anti-racism, the terrible state of the world, et cetera. Um, so yeah, we're not going to have any of our normal uh, bullshit here up front. Too much important bullshit. <laughs> That's right. To discuss. So John, without further ado, why don't we get into our conversation with the person who lives in your house? <laughs> Jenny Boothwater. All right. Well, Andrew, welcoming back to the pod for seventh time, eighth time, something like that. Uh, frequent guest, uh, Jenny Booth Potter. She is the author of the new book, Doing Nothing is No Longer an Option, One Woman's Journey into Everyday Anti-Racism. She has co-led racial justice trainings for churches and organizations across the country and is one of the co-hosts, along with Austin Channing Brown of The Next Question, a web series about expanding our imagination for racial justice. She's also the chief content officer of Herself Media, which aims to create stories that empower and bring joy to Black women. She is also my spouse and has been on Magpot a bunch. <laughs> um, we've been teasing you coming on in the months and years of you <laughs> leading up to releasing the book, and now it's finally out in the world, so we wanted to get you on to talk about the book. Uh, Jenny, welcome back to Magnified Pod. Thanks. It is no exaggeration to say this is the podcast interview that I have been most excited about doing. Uh, that makes me feel um, a little like you're you're fabricating because I'm sure there's a number of people that you have been able to dialogue with. Um, I mean, yes, when talking about anti-racism, conversation with two white men is probably near the top hey. of the <laughs> You know. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I wish you were women, but <laughs> same. We, uh, <laughs> well, speaking of which, yeah. this is a book largely for white readers. Well, right. wait a segue, honey. I mean, yeah, they don't call me the segue king for nothing. Um, <laughs> Noted. <laughs> they, uh, 
this this book is for everyone, but in particular, you wrote it for white readers who are interested in taking steps um, for integrating racial justice activities, everyday anti-racism into their lives, but are unsure or overwhelmed by how to take those next steps. So I think in a way, uh, uh, you know, being a couple of wimpy white boys uh, per a chapter in your book um, is a perfect uh, on-ramp to talk about some of the specificity around writing a book around racial justice for primarily a white audience. So I know you've obviously talked a lot with me throughout the process about how you came to the book, but I wanted you to share with our audience a little bit about just why you wanted to write this book. I know that you had in mind the idea of an approachable tone, a welcoming tone, wanting to make the work of everyday anti-racism irresistible um, to primarily white folks who um, need to hear about how that mm-hmm. they how they can engage in racial justice in a way that um, lets all of us flourish. Um, so yeah, could you talk a little bit about who you wanted to write it for, why you wanted to write it in that tone that we were talking about? Yes, I wanted to write this book because for so many reasons, but I think even the way that you phrase the question of, which is true, I wanted, um, one of my favorite quotes is the work of an artist is to make revolution irresistible. And I think that for so many white people, they don't feel like racial justice work is irresistible. We feel like it's optional. Like it is not actually integral or impacting our lives. So why do we need to touch it? Because we're not those awful alt-right Nazi extremists. None of us were marching at Charlottesville. So like, what do you, like we're doing fine. None of us are going to pull over someone and, you know, kill an unarmed black person. So like, or your grandparents are from Sweden. And so therefore they like, uh, like the person you cited in your book who yes. um, was also mistaken about the role that Sweden had in slave <laughs> Did trade. Did you like that? Yeah. <laughs> Did you like my little zing at Sweden's? Uh, zing. zing Sweden. You actually invented the chains <laughs> that bound human beings. So there you go. Uh, yeah, but I, I think for so many white people, they really are opting out of what is not an opt-outable conversation, work, everything. So, um, but I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't doing what is so frustrating <laughs> when someone has kind of an epiphany is they turn around to the people that haven't had that realization and say, what's wrong with you? Why yeah. haven't you figured this out yet? And it's like, yeah. I've only figured this out five minutes ago. And yet I'm now shaming and you know shaking my finger at other people um, because my experience in this work started when I was 20. And the response that I got from the people that I started doing my very, very early justice work was incredibly gracious. And so I I don't know if I would still be here if I had been shamed into caring about racial justice or um, or made to feel guilty. And, and that wouldn't be enough to like anchor me and root me. So I really wanted... Um, I wanted a book that people would feel like they literally had someone in their corner that was like giving them like the best pep talk before they 
you know, need to go do some hard things because it is hard. It is embarrassing to realize that you've lived completely, um, in so many ways, probably like really ignorant and blind or not even ignorant, like ignoring, Mm -hmm. um, ignoring the plight of so many people. And there can be so much inner work that's involved in that, that is difficult to face. But I think what I wanted for my reader to know is that it's worth facing so that you can move towards creating a world that is better for everyone. And that in the process, you will actually feel and experience freedom and joy in reclaiming your own humanity in ways that as white people, when we're not doing this work, we're distanced from the fullness of our humanity. So, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to write a book like this because I didn't have other white people that I was learning how to do this work from directly. Like all the white voices that I hear on this topic are usually from like an academic or like professor or like history kind of slant. And I wanted to write about ordinary everyday moments that occur of, you know, somewhat seemingly not big deal. No one's going to like write a news story about the racist incidents that that I cover in the book for the most part, um, but they still matter and they still add up. And that's where for the majority of us, the work is. So I wanted my reader to understand that, that, that we all have spheres that we are influencing. We all have access to power and influence. And how are we going to wield that? So So, yeah, I mean, I literally got the idea for the book in like a day. Um, And then like any creative process, it I mean, it took about from, (laughs) as you mentioned, John, like you all have been teasing it for a while because it takes a really long time. So I worked on the proposal for almost a year and then got it sold um, and then worked on it for almost I sold it in 2020. It came on 2022. So, Yeah. yeah, like it's been you know, just shy of four years that I've been working on this. I think too, what you're saying leads to another area I wanted to mention that maybe doesn't get talked about publicly very often, which is the role that white authors and white activists have to play Mm -hmm. in the space of anti-racism work. Um, Because like you're talking about, people are afraid of saying the wrong thing or doing Mm -hmm. the wrong thing, being shamed, quote unquote, online, um, often to the extent that that makes them Mm -hmm. reluctant to do anything or in their heads so much about it that they feel wrapped up in whether they're doing the right thing rather than trying to do something. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I've talked about this a lot with you. You've thought about this as Mm -hmm. someone who cares deeply about this of you know do i as a white woman have something to say about racial justice Mm -hmm. when there are um lots of voices of people of color to hear from Mm -hmm. as well um but but could you talk a little bit about that unique space that white activists and leaders do have to play here because i think another phrase that you've used a lot is Mm -hmm. if you're afraid of Mm -hmm. screwing up or being canceled quote unquote 
you're afraid of the wrong things. I know. We should be afraid of our friends being killed or yes. watching their kids not yes. come home from the park or watching their cousins be, you know, facing a prison sentence that's four to five times what like my brother would ever get. So yeah, I mean, I was so, I don't, yeah, I don't want to sound like pious or something, but it really mattered to me that what I was doing um, was going to not create more harm, you know, that I wasn't, that I, I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was occupying a lane that only I could occupy as a white woman, not taking up space that was meant for like a black woman or any other like person of color. Um, and so what, I mean, it was, I, I will not, it was a lot of going to the people that I do this work with and talking about here's kind of what I'm planning on saying. And the first people that I went to were the two co-hosts of the next question who are two black women. And they said, that sounds good. Cause, um, I don't know, like people ask me, what should I do? And mm -hmm. I tell them, well, I don't know. I'm not white. Like, yes. so the, the emotional labor to figure this out is historically put back on black right. people to like, right. Help, help me figure out how to not be racist or what should I do? And it's like, well, you know, that's, they're already dealing with all the emotional labor, labor of all the other of stuff living of the effects and impact of racism and yeah. they don't they don't want to hear your big white crocodile tears about how <clears throat> bad you feel about these things right and and i think a lot of people and a lot of the circles that i'm in with white people those crocodile tears are, are earnest like I, I, right. I like i they're they're genuinely wanting to know what to do and i think for a lot of activists out there there are many that are like wanting to tell you what to do and we should listen to them. Mm -hmm. And so I am not by any may, any way suggesting like, just hang out with Jenny all the time and she'll tell you what to do. I'm kind of like the, <laughs> I've just been watching like a lot of cooking shows lately and they just did one where they, the challenge was like, you know, do an amuse-bouche, which is like literally it's like one bite. It's, it's meant to kind of like prep your mouth for the meal and like get you excited for what's coming. That sounds like weirdly sexual as I'm saying this right now, but I want to be people's amuse-bouche. <laughs> like I want to give them something that's like, whoa, I didn't know it could taste like this. I'm so excited for what's coming. Producer, and so, storyteller, amuse-bouche. Yes, I, you're not going to get filled up with me, <laughs> but you're going to get a taste of what's coming. And sure. that's what I wanted for people. So yeah. so really it was going to my community and, and really kind of doing what felt like, okay, only they're right. Like, I know what it feels like to be white in these conversations because I am white. Mm -hmm. And so this book is not like, it's, it's not an academic read. It is like rooted in my personal stories that, that lend themselves to going through some history because of a lot of the experiences I had were learning in like real locations or through real experiences about our country's history um, but it's not something that's just like research based. This is like lived based. And I just, I think that, um, I'm guessing not many people in your audience are, are like, I want to write 
an anti-racist book. I'm guessing most people are like, I want to do something and mm-hmm. I want to make sure that I'm not messing up. And so um, I would just say to John, like you're, yes, I've been saying this a lot. Like our fear is often misplaced and um, so many of the stories I tell in the book are of me making mistakes and then learning from those mistakes and then staying in it and, you know, going again, because literally my like mantra is, you know, doing nothing is no longer an option. Like it's not an option to say, shit, I really messed up. And I think I hurt people. So I'm just, I'm like out. I am sorry. I can't do this anymore. Like Mm -hmm. that's not like my commitment is overriding anything else. And so I think from the people that I do this work most closely with, mistakes aren't what they're afraid of. (laughs) They're afraid of building alongside people that are going to bail when it gets hard or Mm -hmm. that are going to, yeah, that there's going to be a limit to the extent of the, like, wait, oh, hold on. Like, this is how far you want to go? Ooh, I'm not comfortable with that. Or like, oh, I actually have to lose something. Oh, like I might actually lose my standing in my family or, or just have to like show up a little bit more bravely or courageously in places that I work or risk whatever it is, like losing social white clout that I have. Um, Like that's what people, no one, A, no one gets canceled, but B, like that's what gets people in this work really sad and frustrated and angry because mm-hmm. it's like oh so this is on your terms this is about yeah. you it's not actually about my freedom and our collective freedom um and so that's that's kind of one of the through lines of my book is like you're gonna it's not like what like what should i do if i make a mistake it's like oh honey like you're gonna make like i i think i made a mistake like three days ago like uh, you know like we're of course like we're still this is not about like doing it perfectly. It is about being committed and showing up tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. You know, but before people can even get there to showing up, there are some hard admissions that people just aren't willing to make, like acknowledging their own racism, acknowledging Mm -hmm the supremacy that exists within white whiteness. And you talk about stories of this one woman just doubling and tripling down on like how she just can't see color and the, the, she's like, you hear someone's voice and you can't tell because she just sees your soul or whatever, just, and you, you, you can't, get into anti-racist work without some like kind of troubling admissions to oneself, you know, just reading through the book and reading about, you know, that the, the marble, exp- uh, you know, thing that you do about mm-hmm. putting marbles into different containers based on different questions about. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you what you're trying to say? Yes. Yes, yes. So it's it's just an activity that we did in classes where it's basically like so many people are like, well, I a the colorblind bullshit that's right. like that's still 
I'll see it come up and I'm like, oh my gosh, like we're, people are still saying this. Um, but so in some of the classes that I co-led, we did this activity, which is um, basically helping people see how the, like there's ordinary choices that you make every single day that are completely racialized. Right. And so it's basically an inventory of saying, am I making racialized choices and I'm choosing the, I'm choosing the group that I like most closely identify with, or am I going outside of, you know, basically my, my people, my, who the race that I belong to. And so at the end of all these questions, which are like, you know, the last three TV shows you watched, the last three, like magazines you read, the, um, you know, like your elementary school was taught mostly by, or whatever, it's all these like questions and you get to look at the contents of your jar at the end. And you kind of are like, Whoa, okay. Like these are choices that I have agency over for the most part. And, um, look how racialized they are. Like, Mm -hmm. so that's just to, if yeah. for people that haven't read that part, I just wanted to clarify that. Yes. Thank you. For... I didn't mean to gensplain you, but. <laughs> no, it's your activity in your book. You know, you have a better grasp on it than, than I do. But yeah, that, that's sort of the, what you're talking about. The choices we, we make, those are the things that are different because how quickly people will get defensive. It's like, well, I had nothing to do with slavery or I had no choice in where i was born or whatever the things that they don't have uh right. a, a say in but like the how they live their everyday life and those racialized choices do make a big difference so what do you what is it that you think makes it when things like this are staring them in the face the the individual racial racialized choices that they make on a day-to-day basis why do you think it's so hard for a a white person to admit they're um, internalized and not just ex- uh, internalized racism? Ooh, um, just a real easy question, Andrew. <laughs> I mean, I think one element of it is we treat it, we're so hyper-individually focused. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, sure. I chose this neighborhood and it's mostly white people around me. But I didn't do I didn't design this neighborhood alone. Like mm-hmm. this neighborhood was designed through redlining and right. through systems, through loan rates that certain people were approved for certain levels of home value and certain people were discouraged from buying in these areas. So so I, I think there is um it's not just nuanced. It's so intertwined that people I think are so afraid that if they start detangling and they start like pulling at the thread of this has all been constructed, like how far are they going to unravel? And so I, I think it's really terrifying to realize like, oh my God, like I didn't even do these things on like that you have been so oblivious and now uh yeah and now like pulling at this is going to take a lot of living with a lot more intention i just i don't think yeah. i don't think most people are that intentional um and i think it also it really pulls at people's value and view of themselves as being good people right 
and they want to double down. We, I want to be seen as a good person. And so right. if you're telling me that I'm making choices that are racist, how am I able to hold I'm a racist and I'm a good person in both hands? Right. Right. So I have to get rid of one of those labels. Right. And I'm not getting rid of the I'm a good person label. Right. So I have to throw out I'm a racist label. And then I'm just going to double down on I'm a good person. I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I don't. Yeah. La, 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 la. <laughs> you know. And then tokenism comes into play. That's hmm. where the the whole trope of like, well, I have a black friend or right. my, you're, my spouse. You're digging for receipts anywhere yes. you can find them. And yes. your receipts are like worth a penny. Like they're yes. not actual. They're not worth the paper they were printed on. Mm. Right. Along the lines of what you were saying there, Jenny, the emphasis on individualism is something you touch on in the book in the context of a culture that you came from, mm -hmm. which most of our listeners can very much relate to which is, you know, coming from the same background in terms of evangelical culture, youth group, um, then you working as a church professional mm -hmm. for a lot of years. Like one thing that you've talked about is the degree to which charity mm -hmm. rather than justice was emphasized mm -hmm. in your sort of church influenced understanding of race um, and how much self tends to be emphasized in that evangelical culture versus collective. Mm -hmm. um, so I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how that background in the 90s Christian yeah. alternative scene that we've talked <laughs> about on the pod so much played a role in shaping your understanding of race and then also how your experience working as a professional in a megachurch environment mm -hmm. influenced the space that you <clears throat> carved out for yourself within racial justice activism and storytelling. And I should say, a piece of that per our listeners' interests is uh, Five Iron Frenzy, who may have played a role in all of this. But maybe that comes second to the question maybe, that I asked. Maybe they planted a freaking seed that just mm. like started me on my path. Mustard seed of righteousness. Maybe a mustard seed. <laughs> oh, man. Whew. I got a little triggered just saying that. Um, yes, you just asked me a lot of things, honey. Sorry. No, it's okay. I'm just trying to figure out where to start. Um, How do we solve racism today? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Just don't talk color. Just don't see it. If you don't see mm. it, it won't. It just disappears. Jen, just Jenny, if I this beautiful I'm, melting pot, I'm closing my eyes and I <laughs> and I'm just hearing your soul. Yeah. Thank you. I think my soul is like kind of like purpley, you know, <laughs> purple people. Anyway. Oh my um, God. Uh, you know, can I just for a second before the when people are like. They talk about like I don't, I don't see I don't red. see purple or it's like you know what though purple people and blue lives those aren't things right right this black woman is a person, person. Yeah. she's right here right. let's not start talking about like people like because like you're equating you're black green or purple I don't care it's like you're equating Austin a black woman with a purple person that's not real right they're not the that's insulting and it's and it's it that in itself is dehumanizing well yeah it's like you're you're basically saying like uh this is all mythical yes yeah it, yeah um anyway so now that we solved racism <laughs> i'd like to move on to my five iron frenzy anecdote no yes. i i do think that yes i relate to so much of your audience and to obviously the two of you i mean andrew we grew up like 20 minutes away from each other and mm -hmm. um yeah, I think growing up, 
very much colorblind, focus on the family, burn your non-Christian CDs, whatever. But then, you know, John and I, well, we all went to the same college and it was at the college that I had this, like, John and I got to go on this three-day bus trip down to the South where we went to different civil rights sites. We went to a working plantation where we were told that this is where the good slave owners lived. We went to a lynching museum um, where someone in our group recognized a name of someone that she like was in her family. And so just seeing like these horrible, horrible truths of our, of our past and of our, you know, the ramifications leading into today. And so by the time I started really having my eyes opened to racial injustice, I was still like, like very hopeful about the church's role in, um, this was kind of like when racial reconciliation was getting re- like that term was getting really a lot more like uh more dominant and more pervasive within the the church that I was attending and then working at and so I felt like I was like all right like we're on the right side of history and what ended up happening there is like kind of what I alluded to before they were willing to go I, I think anytime you're dealing with the road of compassion versus justice, there is a power dynamic at play because um, justice work is like a great equalizer and compassion work has like, you have the helper and the helpy. You have the, you know, the blessed to be a blessing and like those that you're you know blessing what are you, you guys saying yeah and so there's an inequity that is kind of enjoyed i think by those that are um blessed to be a blessing right like like the things that used to be said at this church were like those who have been what was the thing that he used to afflicted say with afflicted with affluence mm. Oh, this poor, this affliction. <laughs> okay. I think once I realized like the gospel that I thought I was learning about, which was like Jesus, like turning things upside down, that was justice work. And the work that the church was interested in doing was like shining a spotlight on the people that they like invited to the table that was still looking exactly the way that the world worked with those with money, those with racial supremacy, those with male supremacy, those with cis hetero supremacy, like those were the people running things and anyone that they like happened to welcome in, they pointed to, to be like, look how charitable we're being. And it, they weren't actually being transformed by the work. They were just maintaining supremacy. And that's obviously like, those are like, those are some bold words I just said, but I, I I think it's true. And I think that's, um, you know, to paint with like very broad brushstrokes. I think that's what we're seeing. And that's what so many people are walking away from in the church is, is looking at people that are hoarding and abusing power because racism is an example of hoarding and abusing power. And so I don't really remember what the question was. No, I think you got it. Okay. The most important tee up though is one of those moments of realizations of power was of course 
the words of Reese Roper. Right. Um, well, no one was talking about no one. I didn't know what the Crusades were like. I didn't know what I did not know anything about the history of harm from the church. And so I literally remember where I was. I was in my best friend's basement. I mean, can I say skank? Like we were skanking it up. Yeah, yeah you, you can say it. To you five iron. Because that was on the approved list or whatever that we were like allowed. And I just remember list like I remember those lyrics of like, I mean, I don't remember them. Sorry, Reese. Well, you're talking about the old West, which both yes. Andrew and I have talked about as sort of an aha moment. I think a lot of Five Iron fans do. The first song of their first album was like, whoa. Yeah. West or bust and God we trust. Let's rape, let's kill, let's steal. We can almost justify anything we feel. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sing anymore because I'm but I'm climbing, climbing up, up that ladder. <laughs> well, brownie points for me. I'll work my way to I cannot think. Just you <laughs> wait, wait, wait and see. see. But then the next one, I I'm not well, I'm gonna I I am I am. Said one cowboy to another. I think it would be nice if we could take these. I always heard it as is it Indians? Engines. Okay. Engines. Not exactly, uh, doesn't, yeah. Okay, and convert them all to Christ. So they're all disgusting and bringing me great pain. And if they don't believe me, we'll put a bullet in their brains. So I don't know if I, like, I'm, I don't want to overemphasize this memory, but I, but it was literally the first, I was saying to John before, it really was like the first thing that kind of poked at, it was like the first rock thrown at the bubble. Right. <laughs> that I was living under where I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, yeah. what are we talking about here? What happened? Um, and I don't, I, who's to say that if I hadn't heard that, like if I wouldn't have been more receptive to when I started hearing stories of history that I wasn't like totally completely shocked because it wasn't the very, very, very first time that I was hearing history told in a more, um, you know, honest, accurate, non-whitewashed way. It's a moment that we've talked about a lot on the pod. I I have relayed, I remember exactly where I was when mm -hmm. I first heard it and it blew my mind. And I think we were clinging to these moments that broke through the veil to like, oh, there's so much more to yeah. the world than we understand. Well, cause that's like what these youth groups are priming you for, right? right? Like I felt like I was primed to be like, a difference maker and a like an agent of change and truth and all these you know just like you're on fire for god right. and you know just like these really like zealous things and i i i resonated with that so much because that is how i wanted to be in the world i did want to be making a difference and i think that you know that's at that age, that is like what you, you want to make, you want to feel like you have purpose. Um, I was going to make a purpose driven life joke, but <laughs> I'm just going to let that, but you do want to have purpose in your life, in your purpose driven life. Um, yeah. And they, I think a lot of like these youth group people like take advantage of that. And I, I, there was something I, I'm sure you, have you all talked to them about like, did they get pushback on putting that in? Like that was a Christian label. Like, why was that okay? Or they just I like mean, snuck it in and they're like, ah, these kids are too busy skanking. They they won't. were on a, a very small niche label. So maybe they were able to get away with more than they would have been able if they were on tooth and nail or something. But yeah. I don't know. I I mean, that is something we've talked to them about. I think it was just always part of their 
identity. And so people like, who told them, like, how did they? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think that's how I think that I think like when we're talking about the inner work that happens in these conversations or, you know, as white people like that are facing the reality, I think there is also this like it's this double edged. Holy shit. This is how the world actually works. Mm-hmm. Why have I been told this other narrative for so long? Right. Like, why was this perpetuated by the church, by my teachers, by my parents? Like, and so when you, I think why it's why the five iron things stood out so much. And even just in this moment being like, who got to them? Like who, who, how did they get through to them? Because everyone else was in this veil of yeah. that was still very much in like the colorblind yeah. days like hardcore color. But I know we still see people wanting to like point to that, but um, it's fewer than, I mean, it's so much less prominent than it, because it used to be, if I see color, that means I'm racist. Because noticing difference is notice is, is saying that there is value in these differences. Right. And that's not actually what literally seeing the color of someone's skin is not, you're, you're not, inherently like saying there's a difference in value um but i digress you're gonna say something great right now andrew I can feel it. <laughs> the colorblind thing i still very prominent but what i'm seeing more often which i think is just as insidious is um the both sides crowd there's oh both both it's like it's 50 50 you know you have you have uh people marching with tiki torches saying Jews will not replace us. And then there's the other side, I guess, you know, uh, people who are opposed to fascism and, and that's, and that's just as bad. Um, but it's just making things 50, 50 cheapens the, the, the seriousness that is white supremacy. Mm-hmm. And that you know the story about that you were telling about um this this group that you were with that went to was it north carolina mm-hmm. or south carolina yeah we went to um charleston yeah, charleston okay. yeah yeah and he was like you know what if we met with uh because he had come off a israel palestine trip and mm-hmm. you know and seeing value in talking to the different sides about the issue and it's like why don't we meet with so, uh, some black people and 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 white supremacist and like and and I just think that giving giving time to and platforms to mm-hmm. these these groups as if they're equivalent they're equal you're putting all them they on need the... is just a little understanding yeah and empathy yes be like yeah I don't really want to hear mm-hmm. what. A white supremacist says, "Oh, you're anti-free speech. How you're you're mm-hmm. just opposed to the First Amendment." It's like, no, no, and it's just like it makes you can't have a real conversation with with a person who thinks that everything needs to be equal in terms of time, but people don't need to be seen as equal. So yeah. I don't have, I and I'm sure this person was coming. F- from it in like a in a genuine 
like in not like a shitty place no but, they weren't i mean they, they were not coming up from a shitty place no they but were, like yes. but yeah. but it's not like a for black people they're, they're not like yeah let's just like have our humanity like just up right. for debate that's just yeah. <laughs> that's not a thing that occurs to white people yeah and i don't even think that's they don't even understand that that's what would be happening mm-hmm. like and they they also don't understand that like they're they're putting people in real danger right by saying let's get in a room together mm-hmm. and we have several black people on our you know do you think they're yeah um like what like what is the hope of that is that you like what like the only thing that could happen in that dynamic is that the white supremacist is more humanized. Right. Which that's what they want to, but like, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, which this obsession with both sidesism and moderateism, like its ultimate conclusion is, um, yeah, let's, let's empathize with everybody, whether they're Nazis or not. <laughs> and it's like, that's where this natural line of thinking leads to is like, no, there's some people who shouldn't be empathized with or understood. Yeah. I mean, I think it just, it like, it reeks of the privilege that you experience that you're not understanding that. Do you understand that this person's mindset has literally meant that like historically and currently I've had to like live in terror or my family has had to move or been ridiculed or humiliated or we've lost on opportunities or, you know, just like the ripple of the, the pain that is so pervasive. Um, but you just want to have like a mock debate, right? Like that's how you're treating this. This is like my life and this is my history. And you just like, want to like heads or tails, like, are we for slavery or not? You know, it's, it's so hypothetical to you because you're so removed from it in your vantage point. And I do think the person that brought this up was earnest in his desire of like, he just gotten off this, like, yeah, pro-Israel, pro-Palestine, pro-peace tour. And I'm like, I am pro-justice. So like, however we need to like arrive at justice, that is what I would like. And if we're talking about justice, that doesn't look like equality, that looks like equity. Yes. And so we need to have an equitable conversation, not an equal one where I talk for five minutes and you talk for five minutes. Because guess what? Historically, white people have been talking and hoarding the microphone and hoarding the textbooks and hoarding the curriculum and hoarding the ability to read and communicate for hundreds of years longer than black people that we enslaved than the indigenous people that we murdered than the Japanese people we put in internment camps than the brown people we put in cages at the border so like you're not so those people Andrew I don't I'm I'm not even those are not my people I'm not why the fuck do I want to have a conversation with a white supremacist no I do not I want to work alongside the people that are interested in organizing and taking action and actually making change not having debate practice for whatever right epiphany might come 
the one thing that we have in common with a white supremacist is whiteness. The difference is that we want to dismantle it and they want to uphold it. Right. They are very like race conscious. Yeah. You know, these are not people that are talking about being colorblind. No. Um, And so they're actually not our, I mean, this is not like original thought. They are absolutely the greatest threat, but like just under them is all the white people that are like, I'm fine. I'm a good person. Right. That aren't challenging those people and that aren't working alongside the people of color and aren't voting alongside the people of color for candidates that are going to do more justice-minded, racially justice-minded types of legislation. You know, something that I, and I, and, and, and I, as I had said to you before we started, I, um, and I don't know if this is something you mentioned in your book, because I had full disclosure, I hadn't, have not finished it as of yet, but I kind of had this thought about, um, Bonhoeffer in his discussion of cheap grace. Mm. And um, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, um, noted anti-fascist Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, said, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without Mm. requiring repentance, baptism Mm. without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Um, Costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, it's, it's like these, we, people want to be, anti-racist but they and they want to be and they want to be for justice but they don't want to do the stuff that's required Mm. they don't want to do the work they want to have the be able to say the right things and they want to but they don't optics optics optics. yeah and so like like in your book like saying let's let's um let's get X number of people of color in this Mm -hmm. video because that's what makes the optics look better. And it's cheap. It doesn't mean anything. And I think people of color see through that shit. Yeah. And and I think white people are starting to see it more too. I mean, I don't know. um, I mean, Andrew, I could cry over that quote and I'm kind of mad. I don't include that in my book because. (laughs) Dropping that Bonhoeffer bomb. I love it. Yeah. I was, I mean, I literally have, um, I think you said you were at chapter eight Yeah. and chapter nine is called a confession. And it's literally like, I basically just go through and confess and repent and, yeah. um, and then go into talking about the amazing grace that is required in this work. Yeah. And like that it is exactly that type of grace that you're talking about. It yeah. is not cheap. It is there is an embodiment of this work that I think needs to happen. Like, am I doing enough? Nope. Will I ever do enough? No. Nope. But am I like letting this as much as I possibly can, like go everywhere in my life and in my thoughts and my, you know, like, am I letting it transform me? Right. Like true transformation that costs something. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Am I held accountable? Yes. Am I, you know, like all, all those, I mean, they're the, even the fact that it's from a book called celebrate, is it, what is it called? The cost of discipleship, the cost of discipleship. Yeah. I think, I think it, if that language isn't triggering for people, like I do think right. there is a discipleship element to this, like that, but it's yeah. so frustrating because the church has not handed us a good model of what true discipleship looks like. So right. for me, I felt like I was coming to this work and feeling like I was learning about the faith that I was supposed to be having my whole life, like in the way that was actually supposed to like embody me through justice work. Cause it wasn't that cheap grace. It was real. Yeah. It was communal. It was upside down. It was all, you know, all these things that I'd heard about, but I wasn't seeing them happen anywhere. Cause I was seeing the optics. I was seeing the tokenism. Yeah. I was seeing the both sides. I was seeing the white moderates, like, well, slow down. Like we don't want to take people too fast because we might lose some AKA mm -hmm. donations will drop off and right. we'll piss off the old white donors. There, if there only there was a denomination that we could point to that's doing that, but you know, I can't, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Yeah. I don't know. Sorry. Good luck with that. <laughs> we all have some, uh, some collective baggage uh, in this pod about that. Yeah. Um, this line of, of, of questioning about the, confession that the church needs to make but isn't mm -hmm. and related to how white supremacy has been more emboldened in the past few years will show up in our next segment when we review the yep. new craig's brother album oh um there's a fair amount to chew on in regard to that stuff so i would suggest people hold on and listen to that if they want oh, i thought you were gonna have like a rapid fire for me um well i mean uh yeah Hey, I got a rapid fire for you. Yeah, go ahead. You mentioned in uh, very early on in the book um, that for white people, white readers do not stop with Jenny Booth Potter, mm -hmm. um, move on to people of color and read their books on these issues. Who should people be reading after they finish your book? I wish I had. I need to just have a list. <laughs> Can I you did share a list with us. I think I did. <laughs> we, we, we've done that. We've done that before, but still. We want okay. that. Uh, we want them new menchies. I mean, if you have not read Austin Channing Brown's "I'm Still Here," it would be a beautiful. I don't know for like book cousins, book sisters, but it's very cool how. I mean, Austin and I worked together, so like a lot of our stories that we're telling are about the same place, and they kind of overlap. Um, Austin also has a new version of I'm still here coming out in the spring, which is like the young readers version. Mm. And so, if you have kids in your life or Honestly, I will be reading it um, just because it'll be more stories about like growing up and learning um, about race and racism directly from a really young age. So Austin is like my number one. So many, many people are saying um, doing nothing is no longer an option. And I'm still here. We make two great companion pieces for Christmas gifts this Aww. holiday season. Mm. And I think pe that's people are looking if people are looking for gifts, they should go out and buy those books right now. Is wow, that, that Andrew, many, I think, many people are saying that the streets are I talking about that. Heard that somewhere. That's <laughs> yeah. great. No, they really it um it would. And she tells the story that is from my title in her book. So anyway, so Austin's my number one. If you're looking for like history, I would go with uh Clint Smith, how the word is passed, a reckoning with the history of slavery across America. 
I would be checking out Nicole Hannah-Jones, the 1619 Project. Um, next question guest. Next, yes, next question guest. We also interviewed Clint on the next question, like after COVID hit. Um, I'm just going to keep going with next question, people. I think Andre Henry has a book, All the White Friends I Couldn't Keep. Yep. One of my new favorite best friends, Marcy Elvis Walker, has um, a book that is available for pre-order now. It comes out in the spring as well. It's called Everybody Come Alive, Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi yeah. Coates. Isabel Wilkerson, you mentioned in the book. Oh, you know, yes. The Warmth of Other Suns. About the the Warmth of Other Suns. Yes, that is a game changer. That book, man, that book helped me understand our country's history so much. The New Jim Crow by Michelle mm-hmm. Alexander, which is about mass, mass incarceration. I mean, James Baldwin. Right. Uh, I really love Dante Stewart. Dante Stewart, yeah. Has a book, um, Shouting in the Fire. And he's very influenced by Jesus and James Baldwin. He always talks about that combination. I'm sure I'm missing someone that I'm like, I can't believe I didn't say them, but those would be great uh, places canceled. to start. This is, this is the end of anti-racist work because you're canceled. Yep. Um, well, guess what? Doing nothing is still no longer an option. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, boom. Boom. Jenny, you are always generous with your time with us on the pod. We love talking to you about this stuff. Um, and I know a lot of our listeners really appreciate the perspective that you bring. So would recommend to everyone to read the book. Doing nothing is no longer an option. Find out more about it and how to order it at jennyboothpotter.com. Follow her on Instagram at jennybpotter and learn more about Herself Media at herselfmedia.com. And if you've read the book and if you got it on Amazon, give it a review over at Amazon. Or if you haven't, uh, if you didn't get it on Amazon, but you still read it, give it a review on Goodreads. Those things really mm-hmm. help. Um, so thanks, Jenny. Everybody check out this book. Everybody... Um, Think about ways that they can get involved in everyday anti-racism as well. I'm not taking that one over again. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks Thanks. for being here, Jenny. Honey, there's grace. Wahoo, indeed. Wahoo. <laughs> um, thank you again to Jenny for coming on the pod, sharing important Five Iron memories, uh, as well as uh, her really great insights um, into the work of everyday anti-racism. Um, yep. In terms of that conversation, I think of it as her Five Iron anecdotes and then the <laughs> everything entire, else. Everything else, yes. I feel confident in saying we're we're the one interview she'll do in this book cycle that gets into Five Iron. So uh, we can feel proud about that. That is true. Um, pick up her book. Um, check it out. I know she would appreciate hearing from folks about uh, what you think about it. So yes, anyway, I'm sure she'll be back soon talking about whatever we rope her into, probably, you know, candy or something. But uh, in the meantime, she's doing very important work around racial justice. Um, speaking of which, yeah, let's get to this new Craig's Brother album, which is Ooh. touching on some uh, important topics. Uh, Ooh, yeah. We, uh, you know, we don't get to do this too often where we cover a band and then they come out with a new album and then we got to go back and, and do it. Very pumped. We've been waiting, you know, 10 years for this Craig's Bro LP. So yeah, no, it's ready. been, it's been a while. Let's, uh, let's, let's take a little break and come back and dive in. Let's do it. 
Hey, sugar. I'm Erica Michelle. I host a voice diary called Brown Sugar Diaries on the Rock Kitty Network, where I spill all the tea about my daily experiences, life lessons, my journey to healing and wholeness, my life as an entrepreneur, student doctor, CEO of a nonprofit, and I give my opinion on the current happenings of the world. You see why I have this voice diary? I got a lot of stuff to talk about. Tune into Brown Sugar Diaries wherever you listen to podcasts, and let's sip on this tea or wine. You cup your business, sugar. Okay. Hey, John. Hey. Have you heard of Small Step Records? You know, the name is familiar, but, but tell me more. Well, Small Step Records is a faith-based DIY record label with mm-hmm. bands that are melodic punk, pop punk, easycore, emo, and ska. And they have some new albums and new bands releasing records right now on all streaming services. You should check them out. Andrew, not only that... Ooh. They are Magpot's first official sponsor. Oh, really? Starburst's got nothing on these guys. All mm. right. These guys are the real deal. <laughs> uh, the tagline is love God, love others, listen to pop punk. You can go to smallsteprecords.com, check out the cool records and merch and bands they have, and we will be, through their generosity, offering some giveaways in the coming uh, weeks and months uh, on our socials of some of these small step bands records so keep your eyes peeled for that also john unlike some record labels which may have come up over the course of the podcast the artists on small step always keep 100 percent of the rights and ownership of their music yes so any money that goes to small step goes directly back into supporting the bands this is a label with integrity so you yeah. love to see it love to see it small step check them out smallsteprecords.com And we're back talking Craig's brother talking easily one rarely deserved. Yes. Talking John Potter being cuter than shit. <laughs> hey, you're always finding my keys and I appreciate that about <laughs> you. Um, yes, we are. We are finally talking easily one rarely deserved, which was released on November 11th, very shortly ago. Uh, on people of punk rock records hopefully folks heard us talk with ted uh in our last episode really really enjoyed that discussion uh you know two interviews right in a row of people we could just kept talking to forever i know um, man i know <laughs> it's the conversation with ted was such a delight and i did feel like all these all these dudes i'm like man why are you like what's everybody in california or <laughs> like know. on the east coast it's yeah. it's, it's kind of rude um, but hopefully, hopefully they uh, heed our our call for yes. shows, and we can yes. finally see Please. these dudes on the road. Yeah, let's make these mid- Midwest shows happen. Um, we need more, need more here. Um, but yeah, we uh, we we've been talking about getting to this record for a long time, as we said. You know, last fall we thought maybe it was coming soon. Took a little while, longer than that. Um, but here we are, yeah, diving right. back into skate punk. Uh, I'm very happy to do it. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on this album. I'm very eager to get into it with you. Um, yeah. But to lay some groundwork here, uh, as we talked about with Ted, it's really 
uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, the album band now is really just Ted and Steven Neufeld. Um, right. Steven here on vocals, guitar, bass, and drums, you know, per his, uh, album name, Craig's other brother. Right. Um, and, uh, and Ted on lead vocals here. Um, as uh, Ted uh, alluded to when he talked with us, uh, Tim Van Dorn, who co-produced and mixed the records, is heavily uh, involved here as well. He's on some vocals, guitar, bass, organ, synth, ukulele, accordion, uh, lots of stuff. Um, about half the songs here are written by Ted and about half by Steven, uh, but almost all the lyrics are by Ted. Um, it was produced by Steven um, and co-produced by Ted and Tim Van Dorn. Um, and I believe recorded at uh, Ted's church per what he said with us. Um, and, or, you know, he recorded his vocals at home. Um, and I would say given that, it, I mean, not even given that, it just sounds great, period. Um, it does. So really happy with the sound of this record. It was mixed by Tim Van Doren at Big Dog Recordings, engineered by Ted Steven and Danny Balastaki, and mastered by Vincent Cote. Um, yeah, it's, you know, as far as, the Craig's brother sound. Uh, I think it's great as usual. Those harmonies are there. Interesting melodies, tight and technically proficient, like they've always been. And then, you know, thoughtful probing lyrics. Um, and I think this record really is kind of a person this far into their life, taking stock of who they are, right. their role in the music industry, uh, about fitting in in general, maybe former bandmates and frayed relationships. It's an interesting sort of slice of his life at the moment. Um, an interesting record. I mean, I, I, it's, I was waiting, I'm waiting for the part where you're like, <laughs> it doesn't sound shitty enough. <laughs> well, we're, we'll get there. <laughs> um, no, it sounds great. But what I will say is there's a slickness to the sound that in terms of the songs, not in terms of the actual production a poppiness that can put me off uh sometimes initially but ultimately wins me over in how well it's executed so i guess i'd say overall i was so pumped coming off of devils in the details i love that sound and how kind of hard-edged and hard-hitting all the songs on that record are in different ways so i was kind of that's kind of the mode of of craig's brother i was hoping for here and it isn't that um but there's so much to like here. It's often a really pretty record, which is like not a descriptor I expected to use. Um, but I would say that they pull it off. Um, what was yeah. it the the comparison that they that someone said about about them? They were like the Backstreet Boys of like skate punk bands or something like that. Interesting, yeah, with the was harmonies it, was, and stuff. Didn't he say something like that? Because, yeah, like, the harmonies on this record are just like, yeah. They're just like 14 part harmony. Yeah, they are. They're just layered in so well. Yeah. And so it's just, it really rich, it enriches it or like gives yeah. the, the, the sound, it, it just makes it fuller and gives more depth to, to the, the soundscape of each of the, of each of the songs. And yeah, and I'm really, I'm really into that. Yeah, I think, you know, I knew you'd make the joke about me complaining about it not being shitty enough. And like, <laughs> I do think that's where I bump sometimes is like, it's sometimes like so sort of lush that I'm like, I miss a little more stripped down. And mm -hmm. part of me wishes for a little more straight ahead punk sound across this record. Um, 
but I also think it's cool that they're trying ambitious things and succeeding. And I don't know, a lot of these songs, <laughs> I'm like, not sure about them when they start. And then they, they are so well done that I'm won over by where they go almost to a song. There's a couple where that just like, don't click together fully for me, but I'd say on the whole, like, I'm very, I'm very happy with, with this record. Um, yeah. And maybe I would have liked a little more sort of hardcore leaning, maybe a little more, you know, minor chord songs. There's a lot of, there are a lot of major chords. There's a lot of poppy sound here, which isn't necessarily true of their discography. So it is interesting, but, but yeah, there's a lot to dive into here. Um, I, I am like interested in a number of ways in the choices that they make here. And I'm, I'm eager to get into it with you. So, well, you, you just came off of, seeing soul glow live that's so true you're, so you're like you're ready for the hardcore you're ready for the raw and the strips it's down. true that's so, yes not tends re- to be my preferred mode of of yeah punk bands especially these days but you know i they, it's not like it's not like they don't go hard here occasionally so right well all that to say should we get into it it's time to get putrid we can get uh into that putrefaction mm of trust the opening track the instrumental track yes The song goes so hard. It does. It's my number three. This, this, I know. It could. I <laughs> yeah. was. Uh, I wondered if you were wavering about this one. I am. I've been wavering. I was too. Yeah. I was. I was telling John before we started that my number three. It's a. It, I'm. I'm. I've been hesitant <laughs> to name my number three because I'm just so on the fence about it. Yeah. And I'm like is this my number three? Yeah. And I, it, it goes so hard and it, really it does. leads so perfectly into violent faith. And I'm like, yeah. Ah, and I would love, Oh man, what a cool way to open a show too. Yes. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would love that. Um, yeah. I mean, people are maybe like, Oh, John's complaining in the intro about this album, not going hard. And then it opens with this. So like, <laughs> I can't deny that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I I I felt similarly. I you know, part of me is like, oh, is it you know, sort of a cheat to give the instrumental the the third spot when there are other songs that I think are really I strong. Um, I know, but I can't deny how hard it goes. And I just, I, it's a great opener. I love the energy. I love the chord progression here. Um, and I will say, even though I appreciate it as an instrumental, I do kind of wish it had lyrics because I feel like right. it's such a perfect song that I I can hear sort of like what. Ted might do on that like chorus part. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Dear, 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 dear. Yeah. I feel like there's some like dear, dear, dear. shouty something we could chant along with there that would be satisfying. But I don't know. We talked to him about whether this ever had whether there was ever an intention for lyrics here. And he said no. no. Um, 
and this is this is written by steven um and tim van doren did the lead guitar here so ted said he basically did nothing on this one since he's not singing yeah um which is interesting um you know i think it's easy oftentimes with like um you know when there's like two obvious artists and we know who did what to imagine that there's like a clear delineation of being like yeah well maybe steven's the popular guy and ted's the harder edge guy but i don't think that's true and in, in in you know this is evidence of that of like this goes pretty hard and this is all steven so yeah i really you, like this if you go to and listen to steven's uh album craig's other brother that came out last year which i recommend you do mm-hmm. it it makes sense because uh his opening track to his record right is also an instrumental rules also goes hard yeah it does love that low bass (laughs) yeah so yeah i recommend you you but like there are some times in this record where i'm like oh this is steven's Mm -hmm. uh, totally totally his voice his influence And and I don't say that in a disparaging way at all, like because he yeah. he clearly has a, an ear for melody and absolutely, uh, and the and the good riff. Yep, hundred um, percent. It captures that Craig's brother thing of hard and fast, but still melodic. It's doing some interesting things musically that you might not expect. Um, but I will say, you know, we talked about how hard the Insidious Lie goes from second one because of freedom. And the vocals starting immediately on that song. And I kind of wanted that like hunch here too of the like vocal element. So I do, I do kind of miss it, even though I appreciate it as an instrumental banger. Um, and like you said, it would be a great addition to a set list to have an instrumental that goes that hard. So yeah, yeah it's my number three. Um, there may be some songs that are like, you know, maybe there are elements to other songs that are sort of more satisfying in certain ways, but this is the, like, it just, it goes so hard. I can't not, not put it up there. So. I, I wanted to call out the term putrefaction uh-huh. um, because it's not it's not a a term. I feel like you, that you people hear like something's putrid more right. than putrefaction, which right. like I don't I didn't really know I didn't really know what it actually meant. But mm-hmm. putrefaction is the fifth stage of death <laughs> follow, following. Uh, mortis, alger mortis, rigor mortis, and liver mortis. This process references the breaking down of a body of an animal, such as a human, post mortem. Um, in broad terms, it can be viewed as the decomposition of proteins and the eventual breakdown of the cohesiveness between tissues. Uh, and it, and it goes into a more descriptive, um, gross stuff, gross stuff. But, um, I did not know. That the that term was uh, yeah. specifically with uh, a stage of death, but yeah, you know. I uh, I googled it as well. There's some <laughs> there's some Ted's vocabulary corner on this record, um, and yeah, it, it does beg the question of like, oh, you're opening with that, so whose trust has been uh, is is putrefying, uh, and and there are a lot of themes here of sort of maybe trust that has been broken or is frayed um so right. it is that the trust that he had in his church or, or like faith community um that he feels betrayed by that he gets into the next couple songs is it 
about you know specific relationships. I don't know, but it's an interesting way to. It's it goes hard as a first name of a first song on a record. <laughs> it's metal as fuck. It is, yeah. Perfection of Bros. That could be a band for sure. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, and as I said, it it goes perfectly into violent faith. is my number one it is my number one <laughs> as well no yes. surprise there no surprise you, um that the i mean it starts it explodes from second one yeah um but the coming out of the chorus and yeah. that dirty yep. bass do, 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 yep. rules 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 um yeah, I, I mean, this is so up our alley. We're opening up that pit just immediately. <laughs> uh, it's a banger. It goes hard. Has that vintage Craig's Brother energy. Yeah, I wrote the same thing. I love the bass and the muffled vocals going into the second verse. Just like, yeah, ratchets up the energy all the more. Um, you know, we said we wanted Yelly Ted before this record came out and that uh, there was a lot to be angry about in the years since we last heard from them. Uh, yeah. And, you know, we've always appreciated the way that they call it the hypocrisy and hatred of this element of Christianity that's, you know, become increasingly powerful in this country and increasingly loud and, and comfortable in their hatred in recent years with Trumpism and everything else. But, you know, we got we got that Yelly Ted here. We got him yeah. talking about those things, uh, which we hoped we would get. So it feels great to get that just up top on the record and be like, oh, this is the tone we're setting here. Um and, you know, we've talked about this already a little bit, but those great opening lines of I can't keep silent in my own house and I need to be honest, I can't believe you would fall this far down. Like, it's just like, yes, Ted, speak your truth. Um, you know, we strong words here, rightly so, that chorus of they would denigrate what you call the word of God to justify the ends without hesitation at all. And their faith is just an excuse for violence. I'm like, boy, you really we've been we've been. Referencing the songs that uh, that, that drop the fire right. uh, within the sort of Christian t- tradition when it's needed in this episode, yes. and this certainly continues that that line of songwriting. So I'm I'm just extremely here for the sound and the and the thematic content of the song. Yeah, and one thing that I think I I hear in this song is something that we were briefly discussing with Mm -hmm. Jenny off pod, just, I hear, I hear disappointment in Ted. Sure. Mm, He's angry, but I hear disappointment that it's like, 
you know, without hesitation at all, this is, you don't question anything and this is, yeah. And this is what you do. And I, I, I hear this not just from Ted, but I hear this from plenty of other people in my life yeah. in watching the ways that the church, the direction the church has moved, um, whether it be um, with uh, calls for violence in certain ways or um, racist um, uh, declarations or um, aligning with a particular um, political party that espouses things that they feel or some people think is, you know, opposed to the teachings of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And Ted says, I won't be seen and be silent. I can't concede to the violent. I don't believe in a gospel of hate. Mm. Is it even too late? And again, like, we've talked um you and i have and i've talked to my dad uh, probably he's talked on the pod at some point about evangelicalism like is it is it a lost cause at this point right right yeah and is it even too late is it is it too, is it too late to save is it is it beyond repair right you know yeah i mean it's worth asking we we brought this up with ted when he was on the show but like you know, he says, now that the door is open, I'll never place my hope in you. I'm leaving you forever and ever. Like that moment of deciding you're forever making a break, whether it's with a denomination or a particular church or evangelicalism or Christianity or faith as a whole, like that's something that we've talked about that moment and the power in that declaration in that moment. Um, and I think that was, it was like during since we've been doing the podcast and I was like, you know, I've sort of maybe waffled with the nuance of like, Oh, well, how tied am I to like evangelicalism in the moment of being like, Oh, I'm, I'm forever severing ties to this and I'm done. And so I, I hear him saying, I'm leaving you forever and ever. And just being like, yes, like say it. And, you know, I know he said with us, like, you know, it sounded good in the song. Like, I'm not saying like, I'm abandoning my relationships with people, but I do think this is a moment to draw lines in the sand and like, yeah, it's, you know, um, calling a spade a spade and, and the church is, is wrapped up in the kind of hatred that we explore in, uh, the next song and other songs here. And it's like going to take people who are, you know, like we see, he went to an evangelical seminary. He, he is, uh, you know, uh, he, preaches each week uh, at his church and he's very much involved in the life of the church. And um, you know, it's his, it's his house as he says. And like, we right. need people calling that out and talking about how, um, how, how the gospel of hate has supplanted the gospel in a lot of these places. Anyway, I just, I appreciate yep. it. Yep. Um, which makes sense why it's both of our yep. number ones. All right. Um, out of your hole and into our ears. Um, that was a terrible joke. I like that. Uh, <laughs> out of your hole. Ooh. Ooh.
It's my number two. My number two. <laughs> I wondered a if we would have the same top three. Yeah. And now B, if the 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 number three that you that you have that you were waving around with putrefaction of trust is the same as mine. So anyway, we'll, well, we'll find out. But I mean, technically, like my number three is blank right now. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. I so it could still be putrefaction of uh, trust. It is. It's it's I I we've we've talked before about soft a soft three. Uh-huh. Um and you were saying before we started that your three, it's a soft, it's a soft number three, not because you don't, not because you don't like it, but just because it's, there's other good songs that could right. uh, take its place. And that's kind of where I am, that I, I haven't had the ability to um, put down. Sure. <laughs> I, well, yeah. let's, let's see where the journey takes you as we discuss these. Uh, but you know, it's not soft for either of us. You know, it's hard as fuck is <laughs> these two is our, Numbers one and two. Yes. Um, this song absolutely rules. Yes. And I, this is a music and lyrics by Ted, but uh, love those punk chords. I love the melody yes. here. It feels appropriately hard hitting for the subject matter. There's like that little organ intro we referenced, which is cool. Yes. Um, just little, like, yeah, there's some texture here for your big texture boys. Um, cool little guitar notes in the chorus that sort of like, give it an extra power on top of that crunchiness of the other guitar throughout harmonies sound great in the chorus. Um, that bass riff into the second verse of like, dee, 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 dee. it just, it rips the whole time. Yeah. Um, but w- a main reason why it's my number two is the bridge. Uh, oh, for sure. We yeah. have to hear some of it. Yeah. At one thirty, I wrote that down to, mm-hmm. I'm just so ready for this bridge. Wait a second. Where are we going? Ah, uh, yes. God, it's so good, man. It's so dope. Ugh, I love it. I love, I love that guitar solo. I love the toms into that surf rock guitar. I love that sort of harmonic minor, like Middle Eastern sound, like. It's just so yeah. cool. It rules. Um, I don't know. I yeah. Once I got, I was already like, "Is this in my top three? And then I got to that part. I was like, oh, "Guess so." Um, it reminds me of um, Pulp intro. Fiction song. <laughs> no, I was gonna say no. The uh, this part here. It reminds me of a uh, the intro into Longview from Dookie. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, that rules. I love Tom's. I love yeah, little surfy. Like I can't resist that. So yeah, that's just one of those sort of unexpected turns a Craig's brother song can take. Where you're like, oh, this is this is really interesting. So yeah, I love it. Yeah. Thematically, we've already talked about this, but it continues yeah. the theme of the last song. You know, now that you're bold enough to come out of your hole, I guess you think the things you say are meaningful. Just this openly racist and hateful rhetoric that people feel emboldened to express and express in the wake of Trump and 
Trumpism's takeover of the Republican Party backed by the evangelical church. Like, this is just good punk anthem stuff. We need we need people calling it out. We need some rallying cries around. Right. Um calling out that hate for what it is. So I also think I guess you think the things you say are meaningful is yeah. a pretty sick burn. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um yeah. you know, the kind of going off of what he was saying in uh violent faith about mm. um is it even too late? And what he's saying in out of your hole saying, you know, you've shown your face now, everyone knows who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, um, I, I have, I'm, a, I'm of two minds about it. Yes. We know, we do know who these people are, but like as, as evidence of these last six, seven years of the emboldened white supremacists, mm-hmm. like we're still voting these assholes into yeah. Right. You know, into elected office. Yeah. And yeah, we know who they are. And I think for some people, they like knowing who they are. They've taken off their sheets and hoods and we finally meet the cowards, as as Ted says. But right. And then we elect them as president. And then we're like, oh, shit, cool. This is this is great. Yeah, Um, I, I, I think that's part of the song, I guess, in a way, is that like this stuff is all out in the open now and you're not even hiding it. But I do agree that like. I don't know when he's like, you're outnumbered and we'll beat you. I'm like, I hope so, man. This country loves its, uh, it's, it's white supremacists, whether they have rubs on or not now. So the the illiterate, toothless, bald and overweight. (laughs) Yeah. I'll take it. Um, (laughs) yeah, there's part of me that's like, by making a caricature out of them, you are making the dominance of white supremacy you know, a little less, um, you know, to suggest like, it's only these idiot hicks. And it's like, well, no, they're at the highest levels of power. And, you know, maybe they are like balding and gross looking or whatever, but like it does. Yeah. There's part of me that just feels like I would love to be like, yeah, you're outnumbered and you're just gross. But I'm like, they're also at like the highest levels of power, literally trying to overthrow our government. So yeah, I don't know. I feel that all, they're all not, they're not just backwoods people living right, in caves. Right. Yeah. It's um you have people like Ted Cruz who mm-hmm. went to an Ivy League school right. and is a senator and he is yep. um propping up all of these white supremacist jackasses. Right. right. Um imposter syndrome, something that I've been talking about <laughs> having a lot lately. Yeah. Let's fucking go!
right, this has to be my number three. Okay. God, it goes so fucking hard, and it has the synths in there. The synths are really the synths are great. The the harmonies, the harmonies, my dude. Those harmonies, though. The harmonies, bro, and the drums. Yeah. The I understand why you think this album is like you know just pretty mellow. It doesn't go that hard. Well, (laughs) here's what I'll say. I understand. I like the song. It does go hard, but it's like so poppy here. I don't know. Like the the chord progression itself is oh just like it's just like that classic overly poppy punk chord progression that I'm not necessarily a huge fan of. So I'm like initially resistant to those opening notes. I'm like, I've heard this chord progression a thousand times, but it's so catchy. And they pull it off so well that it reels me in. And then those synth chords on top, you know, really make a difference for me. They make it more interesting. I don't know. It's fast. It's it's fun. Those background harmonies are great. All those things work together in a way that I'm that I'm definitely into it. Um, and they're so tight, you know, like they they're playing fast. They're they 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 just sound great. They can't not sound great. That chorus is is really poppy again. Yeah. But it's so catchy that it's undeniable. And that is a refrain I'll say repeatedly on this record where I'm like. Uh, this they're a little too poppy for me, but then I'm like singing it to myself around the house. I'm like, I think it worked. So I don't know. There's part of me that's like, I just always like it when they go a little, I don't know. Harder is not the right word because this does go hard, like you're saying, but like it's a little too clean sounding or something. And and maybe it's just like the, the major chords and where they go and that I always like it when it's a little grimier, but like it's so catchy and they do it so effectively that I can't like not be into it so yeah i mean i mean it's pretty great but that that little that it's minor thing that they do i know that yeah i know i know it does interesting things i know switches it up and then i know it's cool it's cool i i can understand why it is your number three i like it a lot it's tough man because putrefaction rules this song rules there's another song that i feel like uh is going to be a controversy but was also a contender Mm. for my my number three okay we'll we'll get there we'll get there it's Um, here's the thing i will say it's a good problem to have uh we've done a number of episodes plenty of episodes especially this season where i have a soft three for all three songs because they're i just am not connecting with the record and it's a good problem to have where i'm just like oh god it's so difficult to choose my top three because i enjoy so many of these songs we're back in the skate punk world. Yes. We're not uh we're not in in one of your top five most listened to bands of the year, Morales Forest territory here. <laughs> um, yeah, what the fuck, man? Can we can we uh, talk about that just for a second? Like Andrew was mad that they made the cut in his Spotify rap. They this did. Bullshit. It's bullshit. Like I don't know how they like, made yours, but not mine. But, I know uh, objectively. Uh, of the bands that we've covered so far for this season, <laughs> the one the the run that I disliked the most, mm. and they made my top five. I'm like, I'm it, like, I've listened to Weird Al way more this year than <laughs> I know. I something is a little fishy with the is, rap this year. I think something I is know. askew because mm. we both had Hangnail, yeah, in our as in our number three spot, and I'm like, 
I'm like, I can safely say I haven't listened to Hangnail since since January. January. I know. Yeah. So I, it it's it's odd. Anyway, it's weird. It's weird. Um, I I don't I don't know if I trust it, but. Craig's um, brother though did make both of our our festivals from the <laughs> InstaFest app pulling from our Spotify listening. That is so, true. Anyway, that is true. Anyway, great song. But, great I song. Enjoy I enjoy it. John hates it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sucks. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask, do you have thoughts on the lyrics here? Because I think it's about hypocrisy. I mean, maybe not living up to like the version of himself from being sort of the front man of a punk band espousing ideals or maybe as a public Christian, because it sort of starts out pointing outward, you won't fool anybody, and ends pointing inward, because he ends on, I might fool everybody. You know, he says, I never want to be that person I hate when the costume I create is gone. So I, yeah, I just wondered, like, I think there's some themes here, but I wondered if you had particular insight into what you thought he was maybe naming in particular. I mean, I, I think that is open to interpretation. Sure. And um, cause he says, maintain the purpose, play, pretend, keep up the face, maintain the grace to fake it. So it could, I mean, I think it, it could be anything. It could be about, um, it could be about faith. It could yeah. be about, you know, his public persona in the band, um, yeah. being a lead singer in a Christian band. And, you know, he, he, you know, talked about, um, uh, in our interview that going through his divorce, you know, that he was drinking too much and he, right. he was, you know, not the, not the best at the time. And, you know, this is a persona that's different than I think, you know, one might assume that uh lead singer of this, you know, Christian band would be like, but it could be, it could be any number of things. And yeah. You know, I never want to be that person I hate when the costume I create is gone. Like you said, it's, mm -hmm. I think we all have those personas that, the, those, these, the sides of ourselves that very few people get to actually see that they're, they're reserved for the closest and the most trusted people in our lives. But, yeah. Um, or maybe it talks about being there are some, instincts that we have that we don't like and yeah. trying to suppress those i don't know um yeah yeah there's no, I, a, there's there there could be any any number of things right i think that's probably true about a, a fair amount of the songs here where it you know it there's obviously like a, a theme to it but maybe the details are somewhat subjective um but i think we can all relate like you're saying um and I would have had similar questions about this next one were he not to have uh, clarified it for us when we talked to him. So. <laughs> uh, superhero. More than the sand, more than the sea, more than the sky, more than the children wonder why. Greater than man, larger than life, beyond the sun. Said and done. I want to be just 
Um, it's a fun one. Yes. His wife or partner yep. is the superhero specifically. Yes. In the song. We were like, is this like about Jesus? Is this? It's like, no, it's about, it's about my wife. You fucking idiots. Yeah. <laughs> it's a love song. It's a love I will song. say though, that like he does in our defense, it's, you know, there are things about it that suggest if a Christ-like figure, which the figure is his wife, but it's like, I don't know. Well, healing the sick, saving the poor. Yeah, we talked about how great the juxtaposition of healing the sick, saving the poor, finding my keys is. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when yeah. you when you apply it to yeah somebody's partner, it's like oh yeah that that makes sense. Yeah, um, crafty at heart, cuter than shit, smarter mm, than me. <laughs> so good, such a great couplet. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a love song and it's uh I like it's very sweet. It's very sweet now knowing that he's singing all this about his wife and yeah. Um I want to be just like you. Like that's so that's so cool and that's a great thing to think about a partner is like right. oh I aspire to be the way that you are. Um Right. I don't know. I like how fast it is. I like the melody. It's maybe not like a huge standout for me, but I do like it a lot. Um there's a lot I like about it. There's a great shreddy guitar solo um that maybe we could hear some of around 140 i'm assuming it's steven doing this but yeah it's great definitely bad religion vibes there oh yeah the shreddy guitar and like the big big background vocal yep. harmonies yep. going on so good yep uh yeah that part really stands out for me yep um and next terrible slave which was only one of two of the singles that they yeah maybe three or maybe yeah. three let's see yeah. or maybe more i guess they did did more than than i remembered but yeah. i know i heard i heard terrible slave was the first one Yes. Also Violent Faith, also uh, Rodeo Clown. I know I heard all those, so. And the end to that chorus, yeah, that sort of like step down, 
it's so good it's they're doing so many interesting things here i love this song i yeah. this is the top three contender for me yeah um uh music by steven lyrics by ted here i will say this is another one where i'm like confused by the intro like the first time i heard it i'm like huh is this is this something i want to listen to <laughs> it's like these acoustic guitar plucky notes i'm like huh but then it like immediately falls into this rhythm that i'm really into um and it has it that kind of like homecoming vibes yes i have the same thing here it has that sort of 50s melody and feel that they have gone into from the early days uh, on homecoming especially um and i think they can really easily and effectively drop into that sound i've always liked when they do that yeah. really catchy chorus um but yeah it, it it did take a little time for me to sort of appreciate as much as i do now because like i said i wanted something i wanted i wanted violent faith basically and this was the first song i heard and i was kind of like huh like it's not fast but it is really satisfying and there are great harmonies yeah. and even if there's sort of like elements that feel a little too like i don't know slick or polished i'm like I still really like the structure of the song. It's one of the more interesting and ambitious songs I'd say musically on the record. Um, there's a really fun guitar solo in there, but there's also something I'd like to hear, which is like this, they do this really satisfying buildup and full release yes. <laughs> out of uh, the bridge back into the chorus at like 2:55. Yeah, they sure do. The dream yeah. The halftime with all those harmonies yeah, going those on. Harmonies. Oh, the, it's so good, the, man. The, the... Yeah. Yep. Yep. See, that's another like, oh, how could I, how could ding, I deny ding, this? Ding, 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 ding. Ding, ding, it, it's so good. It rules. I, I, yeah. I like the, amb- I don't know if ambition is the right word for that, but just like, it's, it's really going for something. And I think they really yeah. land it here. It's really cool. And it's got that punk ethos. It's like, don't tell, yeah. fucking tell me what to do. Yeah. This is another one where I'm like, I always get a little anxious at the idea of a white guy invoking slavery. <laughs> like, I know. I when, know. Uh, it's the first time I heard it, I was just like, hmm. I felt my butthole clench a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And I when just, I, I saw that title and I saw the artwork for the song, which is probably unrelated, but like, it almost looks like, looks a, like, like a lynching, lynching tree. Yeah. I was bit. like, what are we talking about here? Yeah. So like, I don't, I remember like back in the day when we talked about like MXPX invoking slavery when they were talking about tooth and nail or whatever. And like, I don't know, I guess I, it, maybe I'm, I'm, you know, maybe too hung up on this, but maybe overthinking it, probably yeah. overthinking it. Yeah. Um, but I still like, oh, we gotta be careful when we talk about uh, being a slave. Um, but yeah. I sort of assumed partly for that reason that it was like sort of about the music industry here too like he's not going to conform to expectations of success or what's success required in the music world but was he going to stay true to himself but i'm not sure it really is about that like this idea that he isn't a good candidate for playing this role people tell him he needs to play to meet this ambition doesn't necessarily have to be limited again it's like what you're saying about this could be about his faith or just about fitting into things or about any number of things it's maybe not necessarily about the like success of the sort of music world but that is that was 
what I, my initial thought was sort of like, you know, what labels or people tell you to be sort of, I don't know. What was your read on? Well, the part that sticks out to me is, didn't I play the part I was destined to play? Didn't you lose a game that was lost either way? Mm. I don't, I mean, I think we could easily overlay that about any number of things. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, like, Hey, look, you know, I, play the part of the band i did the band mm-hmm. thing i did the touring thing and the music industry especially in these last couple decades and the way music was being made just, you know, especially back in the early 2000s was just dying the yeah the record label uh way of doing things was dying right right and yeah. so it's like you know i did my part I'm I'm yeah. I'm writing music, I'm telling the truth, I'm whatever. I don't know. That that could be one thing. Yeah. Um we yeah. didn't ask what Ted Ted what his mission no. was. But right, I know. Yeah. There's a bunch of signs that I'm like, now that I'm going over it, I wish we would have asked more about it. But we didn't, you know, if we had more time. Right. More time. You know, you can't just ask somebody what every song means, <laughs> <laughs> but I am curious about some of them. So um, for this, uh, this second verse, can you go line by line and tell me what right. this means? What does this word mean? The sacrifice. I think this is kind of maybe going off a similar theme. Yes, I think so. Stephen on that second yeah, verse there. The yeah. second verse, Stephen coming in, um, which sounds really great. I love, I love that uh, sharing those mm-hmm. tag team and those vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, clearly, a, in, uh, obviously about the music industry and mm-hmm. the grind of being, you know, at the mercy of. The audience, the label, mm-hmm. making money for other people, um, but then like just also being criticized, <laughs> and right. and you know it says I've been stripped of my pride, nothing left to save. <laughs> yeah, you know it's yeah, I yeah. Think it, it it's tough, man. Yeah, there's kind of a I don't think bitterness is quite the right word. I think it's like what I was trying to say in the the sort of intro we were doing for the whole album is like, 
I feel like it's less like a bitterness about the music industry or their past and more just like a, an assessment of things when you're middle-aged and have 25 years of doing this behind you and you're not making a living off of doing it now. So like, what does it mean to sort of look back on it? What's your role now? I think those are all things that are, uh, make sense for somebody in his, somebody in their position to sort of be asking and mulling over. Um, but yeah, there, uh, and maybe, you know, I I feel like there's some allusions throughout to maybe people who did, who were able to sort of make, make a living off of it. And maybe the, what compromises they had to make to do that or what falling out there may have been with certain people along the way, but yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting one. It's, it's not one of my favorites, but it, you know, I think it works. It's uh, there's that. Oh man. Go ahead. But there's the fucking tech, the, the BTB, we're the BTBs, man. (laughs) You know, you you got to talk about the big texture boys here. Mm -hmm. The, the, as I said at the beginning, all the layered harmonies and the, the, the structure of them too is just so yeah. interesting and they're sure. just they're so beautiful but yeah i and i love the way the song ends because it does sort of have this more drawn out uh repetition of the you know i sacrificed myself for show business and it mm-hmm. sort of um has just keeps going and Sacrifice myself for show business and my recompense for all I gave I think I mean talk about ambitious. I just think there's mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of creativity and yeah. thought that goes into something like that. Yeah. It's totally yeah. And you know, there's the heartbeat there, there's that that interesting intro with like the noise of the adorning crowd with the heartbeat then him flatlining <laughs> yeah <laughs> that almost sounds like a metal album intro or something um yeah i don't know it yeah it it's certainly ambitious and like i said i'd, I'd rather listen to something that was like taking swings than just by the numbers which craig's brother right. never is um no no i yeah i think you're right that it's related to the last song in terms of you know, the last song's talking about sacrifices you make for show business success, maybe. And this is like here, it's a literal sacrifice he's making. Like he's inside his grave. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I just think, you know, the expendability of musicians yes. who make sacrifices. He's, the one. he's yeah. the one who was consumed, consumed by the putrefaction of trust. <laughs> um, he, he hits that low note, bro. He does. Back to Um, I feel like Steven hits it a little more easily and maybe he wrote the music here i don't know if we said yeah. that already chad wrote the lyrics but i'm like maybe he did that first and then tim was like i mean i can try but consume <laughs> um anyway yeah yeah i uh there's a i don't know there's a like sheen to steven's voice which i i like but ted's there's something about the sort of like rawness and roughness that gives it this unique scrappy quality it It sounds a little shittier so i like it (laughs) is that what you're trying to get me to say yes (laughs) but it does it's it has a it has a you you can't mistake ted's voice and i guess i just it 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 makes it stay i like when there are the different vocal harmonies and but i do feel like oh it, it it highlights his his unique vocal performance when somebody else sings on a craig's brother song i guess is what i'm saying i don't know yeah well it's also what i love about a lot of West Coast skate punk mm-hmm. vocalists. You think of bands like Lagwagon and No Effects. They're yeah. they're not known for being like 
outstanding right. <laughs> singers. Right. But they fucking own what they do. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I'd rather listening listen to an interesting voice than to a perfect voice. So yeah. Um, I am curious the about the uh the lines now that I'm no longer there, you all act as if you care. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm wondering yeah. if that's about, um, is it about fans? Is it about yeah. former label mates or bands that they toured with or yeah, um, people that like grew up listening to, like maybe it could be about people like us that like we listen to Craig's brother, but like, we're like, where were we when? Right. You know, the insidious lie came out. Right. And, right. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It could be, I don't know. It could be any number of things, I guess. Right. Yeah. There, there's like a, you know, where I was like, oh, guys, you got a tour. Why aren't you like playing shows? And they're like, we're, this Where's is like a, a side hustle we do. Yeah. I know. In addition to our regular lives, we're like, come on, you got to do this. <laughs> like, we tried to make our living doing this. We'd love to do that. But, you know, the, the reality of the world is not that we can just tour whenever we want, but I know we all want them to. I know, I know. We're we're completely unreasonable. <laughs> yep. Play our weird set lists, tour, <laughs> etc. What if what if you guys all like played in each other's bands and played for like four straight hours and played? <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Sacrifice yourself for us, Ted. Yes, until he flatlines on stage. Uh-huh. Uh, Judgment Day. Waiting for you. you. Pull yourself a clear. <laughs> As if out of some cavity, but all I see is poo. Your said excuses it. are new. But so is your hair, dear. You still can't accept that all this mess belongs to you. Yeah. You're waiting for someone else to clean it up for you. You still can't accept that all this mess belongs to you. Even though it's true, I'm not here judging you, but I Ring, ding, 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 ding. This one's really fun. Yep. This is a uh, no use for a name song. Yeah, I can see that. It's got some. I mean, it's got some Tony Sly things going on here. Yeah, that that sort of makes sense because he said that this was left over from Homecoming. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this, which is like yeah. a twenty-five year old year old right. song. Those early Craig's Brothers stuff. You know, he said they were very influenced by No Use, and yeah, that sound is sort of more prevalent maybe on Homecoming, but. Yeah, it's interesting that it's been around for that long. I, I this is another one where I'm like, there's this acoustic intro. Obviously, he's like 
it's taking the piss a little bit. He's having a laugh yeah, in the beginning, yeah. but like, I'm sort of like uh, that an accordion comes in. <laughs> like, yeah. What's happening exactly. Um, but by the time that the band comes in, it's like, Oh, this is, this is rad. Um, so it's another one of those songs where I'm like, there's an intro that I'm a little bit like unsure of the ground I'm on. And then the like electric instruments come in and the drums come in. I'm like, Oh, that was like a setup for this really satisfying transition into the rest I'm of the song. Still Ugh, it's really good. Yeah. Really interesting. Uh, musical again just like you wouldn't necessarily expect some of those notes and chords that you hear to to come together but they're always going to do something interesting and i don't know i really like ted's vocal performance on this one really nice bass line uh played by tim van doren which ted mentioned yeah. that he came in to do some of those more complex bass lines Dude, on the record so ding, cool. ding, 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 he's going all over that neck yeah um yeah i don't know i'm really into what it sort of settles into yeah and we talked, we were just coming, just coming off of talking about, I'd rather listen to a, an interesting vocalist than a perfect vocalist. Mm-hmm. And Ted has just such a unique <laughs> delivery and it, and it, it just shines on the song. And, you know, and we talk about, talk about taking the piss a little bit. We're doing a little bit of the, doing a little bit of the same, taking mm-hmm. the, you know, taking the piss a little, little bit, you know. You pull yourself a you It's great. Love it. All um, I see is poo. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, there is a sort of like seriousness to his message beneath the poo references, which is like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't again. I don't know exactly what the situation is, but a loved one who's who's made a mess of things to some degree, and that Ted isn't here to judge them, but encourage them because he sees their potential. Um, that sort of repeated refrain of you've nothing to prove to me because I believe in you. Like that's a powerful idea. That's really. And it really does fall in line with what we heard during the homecoming era. Yeah. So it makes, it makes sense. Yeah. That was kind of a, a theme in a number number of those that for sure. That era. Yeah. I think songs about encouraging someone and seeing their potential isn't like, not necessarily like, a go-to punk choice uh which yeah. just like speaks to yeah the the interesting lane they've always kind of had yeah um uh, uh you have nothing to uh prove to me because i believe in you you don't have to justify the stupid things you do <laughs> right yeah i like it yep um you know what else i like hmm this this goes hits 
all the boxes, checks all the boxes for me. It has that no use for name combined with like newfound glory kind of vibe going on. And I know you probably like this song the least because it's so poppy, but it yep. is. And I knew this was the controversy song because yeah. we, we talked about how this song jumped out as the most different of all the songs on the, on yes. the record, but it jumps out to this song could be justified as my number three. Okay. I like it that much. Yeah. And, and also because the chorus is so earwormy and it really so is cool. yeah um but yeah, yeah. I mean, but all the, the chord progressions throughout every part of it are so cool yeah they're so good i like how you're like arguing with me before i've said anything but you know what i'm gonna <laughs> fuck say you, John. <laughs> preemptively fuck you yeah um, trust me i am mad at your <laughs> opinion um well you're right about uh, everything you said um <laughs> i don't know i i have complicated feelings about this one this is the only song that steven wrote the lyrics on the music and lyrics by steven here and and tim van doren on lead vocals here i don't know the whole thing feels a little too poppy and polished for me however it's it's so catchy yeah. <laughs> that i can't resist it so like i don't know I, i'm already a little bit like i don't know again it's like it's it's the it's the major key major chord pop punk progression that just like doesn't really work for me and i feel like i don't know the thing that you talk about often about like being able to hear the like auto-tune thing and how that bugs you like i don't know that that's necessarily what's happening here just there's something about it that feels processed to me and i don't know I, again tim and steven sound good when they show up on vocals but it, i miss ted when he's not singing and it moves into this chorus that's so poppy and a little like pop punk cheese for me but at the same time i can't resist it it's it, it has been stuck in my head i'm walking around Oof, singing this all that, the time give me, you give want me that, that cheese give me, give me that cheese bro i'll i understand melt, it, melt that melt that cheese bro <laughs> ultimately it works for me but yeah we've talked about it. The, the newfound glory lane of, of punk is just not the one for me and i understand people like it and respond to it i like a lot about this i like how it slows to halftime for that second pre-chorus and then builds back up to the double time that's really satisfying there's a lot of things that, again, there's no, there are no songs here that I think are bad. I think all the songs are executed well. There's just like a lane of Craig's brother that I'm more into than others. And some of these don't fall in that lane. So I guess that's what it is for me. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's got that easy core kind of right. vibe to it. And I could, a, an easy core breakdown would fit perfectly into this yeah. song. Sure. I take and, that. And um, I don't know, maybe that would, do something for you yeah. i don't know I, I yeah there are there are definitely things that that work here for me and like i said the first time i heard the like trust me i was like oh boy but now <laughs> i walk around my house and i go trust me it's all been said and i'm like but that's super catchy so there's a reason why they you know yeah. utilize it here anyway um I'm i think this is mad. that that that's the part that that the first time i heard that i'm like it's all been said Yeah, that gets it's me cool. every time. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously an incredibly talented singer, songwriter, instrumentalist, and you know, maybe there's just different different modes that respond. You know, that certain people of of their fan base respond to more than others, or whatever. But um, the like the thematic terrain here, I think, is another one where it sort of like bleeds 
in from the song that preceded it into this one where it's like it nosebleeds into it if you it will. nosebleeds in well done uh a friendship that's maybe like fallen apart yeah. another one that maybe feels like it's a former bandmate even um you know he invokes can convince yourself to fly you had me sacrificed which feels similar to the sacrifice and sort of the other themes on the record about the music business but i don't know maybe i'm reading too much into it again but it does feel like it's in keeping with the idea of like, you know, when he says it's just me waiting for you, waving from the nosebleeds, that's another one that sort of suggests maybe like, is it a friend that's like gone on to find a level of success in doing music professionally? And I don't know. That's that's what I was wondering. Yeah. The only tickets they can get to the show are like right. the, the, the Taylor Swift tickets that I got. <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> I did not get any, so I'll take your nosebleeds. Um, yeah, well... <sighs> Yeah, we'll see, man. See what happens with uh maybe Ticketmaster will get broken up and oh my god, we'll all get fuck, tickets. Fuck them. Yeah. For the for the three tickets that we got, it was like hundred and eleven dollars in fees. It's just yeah, it's outrageous, man. <laughs> like, um, and that and that was after like shit like broke for like six hours. And it's like right. So what what's the convenience fee that we're charging yeah, here? I know. It's all it's all a mess. And uh you know, if your band is is playing a tour and all you can, all your friends can get now are nosebleeds. Uh, I understand. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it could be like you know maybe the whole nosebleeds thing is a metaphor for a relationship or whatever. But it does feel like perhaps it's a literal sort of like. Yeah. It it's got to be weird being somebody who's been in music forever and like watching the different paths that there are for people who've been involved in music and the levels of success that people have and all that. So. Anyway. Yeah, it's hard to think like you go back um to the for Emma forever ago days of <laughs> right. Bon Iver and be like uh-huh. this guy's gonna this guy's gonna work with Taylor Swift. People be right. like, what the fuck you talking about? <laughs> right, yeah. That like, guy that recorded that lo-fi album in a cabin in the woods. Like... <laughs> and then Taylor Swift's like, I can do cabin core. Yeah. Yeah, she can. I can wear I can wear flannel. Here for it. Yep. But for some people, she's earning the hate. I don't know. Hate is easily won, but it's rarely deserved by the underserved. My face for day number one was the hated son, the worthless one. And I own it. I break my heart. At first, I tried to fit in, I tried to pretend I was not the one. song yeah, rules give, give me those claps bro hell yeah the like the dropout to just the bass and the hand claps you can't can't resist that something uh, that something that scott kerr told me at one point he's like talking about how he's a, a sucker for hand claps i'm just like yeah man absolutely yeah. Hand claps fucking rule i don't care how derivative they might sound no but 
throw them in there, throw in the hand claps. I'm here for them. Sounds great. This is, this is a top three contender for me. I like the song a lot. Uh, this is the music and lyrics by Ted one. I don't know. Again, it's like catchy, but I like the sort of minor chord progression of the melody here. Um, there's like that late, that later chorus that comes where everything drops out, but the rhythm guitar and it's like, I just think they're doing a lot of, it's a really satisfying one dynamically in the song. Um, and nice guitar solo, uh, Tim Van Dorn on, on lead guitar in the outro there. Um, yeah, just a, a really, a really fun one. Um, the album's namesake. Indeed, which I don't know. Do you have thoughts on the lyrics? Like I, it seems like he's somebody, so he's somebody who was fated to be hated and then earns that hatred. Um, I'm the enemy. I earned it in infamy in a terrible way. My name is great. I don't know. Do you have, do you have thoughts about who he is invoking there? The phrase, the, the, the lines hate is easily won, but it's rarely deserved by the undeserved. Yeah. You know, I, I do think that there's something to be said that people it's so it, it is easy to pile on and hate somebody, especially on social media. Right. You know, someone says something dumb. You can be like, ah, oh, what a fucking idiot. But like there are people, much worse people to have that deserve your ire. Right. Um, I don't know what he means. My fate from day number one was the hated son. I don't yeah, know. It's, it seems like a specific. Is, is this my, a story that he's that right? He's, or is it, this like literal? I don't know. My prayer down in the mud answered in blood on the freshman lawn. I'm like, that seems specific. Yeah. Um, but yeah, obviously somebody is like, I never deserved it before today. So it does seem like somebody who like maybe did do a bad thing eventually, but only because they were like, well, if that's what I'm supposed to be, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't totally know what's happening. Like a self-fulfilling prophecy sort of. Right. Yeah. I don't know. There's part of me that was even like, oh, is it like relating back to the theme of out of your hole where it's like, is it about the bitterness of like white people who feel society no longer serves them? So they become hateable. I don't, I don't think it's that, but I was like wondering about that. And I don't know. It's interesting. I, yeah, I assumed that the idea of easily one really deserved being about hate is like you're saying like it's very easy to um yeah gang up on people and and hate people who we don't really know or for reasons that aren't um you know actually legitimate um but then people start playing into that role to earn it i don't know i don't know exactly but it's interesting it again sort of maybe like relates to this theme of maybe kind of like bitterness about how you're perceived and how the industry sort of sees you and what you have to do to sort of be a a public person in that way. I don't know. I don't know. It feels a little bit more sinister in some ways. Yeah. It could be about like, um, like a mass shooter kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, yeah, actually that, yeah, that could make sense. You know, getting someone being bullied or something and, you know, Right. And somebody who was like bullied for no reason, but then like, it's like, well, fuck you. Then I'm going to right. kill everybody. And yeah. now, now I earned it in infamy. Right. Yeah. Actually that, that, that's kind of what I was trying to get at with like, is this the sort of like white supremacist thing? But I think you're, I don't know it's, what you're going into is more. Yeah. Articulate about that. So that's interesting. It's, a, um, it's an interesting one. Yep. Uh, another interesting one. Mm-hmm. Rodeo clown. 
an interesting single choice. Yeah, for sure. I would say if this was the first song I heard, I'd be like, is this another Lost at Sea situation? Is this the new like Aerosmith album? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's Lucky not the right poll, but I'm like, what is happening? Trying to make peace with my brain. Need some slapstick twist of fate. Lost in misery, the joke is on me. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm the clown you love to hate. But it's all over now. You took it right out. This is uh, a one that picks up and sure does. becomes extremely satisfying. Yes. When that, it explodes uh, later at the end of the song. Satisfying is the same. I use that word twice in my notes. <laughs> I went on a real journey with this song. Yes, uh, me too. Music and lyrics by Ted. Tim Van Dorn on bass in that intro. Another one where for the first half of the song, I'm like very unsure about what we're doing. <laughs> where I'm like, yeah, to your point, it's like, Reverby vocals, acoustic guitar, that electric guitar riff feels like very pop radio to me. They're like, nar, nar, nar. I'm like, what? So, and that first chorus feels kind of cheesy to me. And then that like cross stick drum sounded like with that opening guitar riff, I'm just like, oh, this is a, it's just a vibe that I'm not really into. But then there's just pianos, piano and vocals for the first for the uh, second chorus and I'm like oh okay this one is just too much for me I can't really get on board with what they're doing and yet <laughs> when the full band comes in for the yeah. second chorus it's so satisfying they really it pull is. that off yeah. and then the next chorus after that they pull back to halftime and that's super satisfying too yes. so at like two minutes and three minutes I'd like to hear both of those <laughs> choruses yeah <laughs> I mean, that's rules. When those vocals kick in, you're just like, yes, put it in my ear holes. Every time I'm unsure on a song, I just need to (laughs) trust Ted because I'm like, where you're taking me on this long journey will be worth the payoff but the <laughs> yeah. like process of getting there i'm always a little bit like boy they really took a turn on this one but i'm like but it's all this build up to this glorious moment where i'm like oh i'm on board with all of it now yeah yeah um so that yeah if we could hear the 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 next chorus too at uh, three minutes i also yeah. like that one a lot Ugh. 
really good. Then it goes back into the, back to the double time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, man, I don't know. I don't know what to think, but I like maybe Aerosmith was the wrong pull, but you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, a sound that I'm like, huh. But I'm like, by the end of it, they really do pull this thing off of like, they've never done anything like this. And it's very, I don't know. Is it like, this is the, what I feel like. I feel like this is what Lost at Sea could have been if it were yeah. mixed correctly. Yeah, yeah, I think that's you fair. know because this this is yeah it feels it's, it's sort like of a epic Lost at, like that way. Yeah, yeah, it does feel like a very produced like lots right. of instrumentation, very grand, and yeah. would fit on an album like Lost at Sea. But right. it sounds fucking great. It which does. is what we said a billion right. times about Lost at Sea. It's like, man, we like so many of these songs. Yeah. They just need a different treatment. They need yeah. they need the Ted and the Stephen Newfeld um and the Tim Van Dorn treatment. Yeah. No, I I yeah, there's like I said no song here where like eventually I'm not won over by it even if like I'm initially a little taken aback by it. So right. I'd rather go on a, an unexpected journey than just 10 songs that are straight ahead punk bangers. Even if I would have liked that, I'm like I want to hear this kind of stuff from them where they're really trying something big. I think it's really interesting. So I, I get why I get why this was a single in the sense of like, this is our sort of, this could be like a radio hit in certain, right. I don't know, timelines. Um, so I get it, but it also but, is just like, this is surprising. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's what, you know, we talked, we've talked about like, obviously with lost at sea, they were going for some big swings and right. we, we love a big swing. Yeah. And this is a, a, a one of those bits, big swings that actually, actually it hits, connects. It connects. Yeah. Yeah. And they're well executed here. Yeah. 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 Yep. But I also just want to say uh, left here, wet in the rain, feeling insane, trying to make peace with my brain. Same bro. It's <laughs> same, same <laughs> hard, um, hard. Same. Yeah. I, we should also mention our dude guest, uh, guest vocals here, Jason Reagan. Um, yes. Sounds great. When all those, voices come in very satisfying and I, yeah i guess this is another one about like i don't know another one about somebody people love to hate uh things all sort of fall apart for this person another sort of theme of the record maybe friends doing things to hurt them another sort of theme i don't know there's a lot going on he he's he's the rodeo clown he's a joke he's he's wet in the rain like you said it's a i don't know interesting stuff here yep um penultimate Scattered and few. I don't know. Is this about? Mm. It's about scattered few. Come here. Scattered and few. Lost sheep of Israel. See how they stray, wandering in arid places. Some in the pitfalls. Some in the
Um, this is way up there for me, definitely mm. in my top five. And this is actually the one that I thought maybe you were wavering on potentially Ooh, being your number three, not because of anything we've heard yet, but because of where the song goes eventually. Um, some great whoa gang vocals come yes. in. Um, so yeah, I, I like this one a lot. I think it's a great chord progression. The harmonies on top of it sound great, but it also has a hard edge to it. Um, this is the music and lyrics by Ted. And yeah, I'm just, I'm such a sucker for the last minute or so of the song where it's like the whoa gang vocals. Yeah. Um, but then <laughs> it's like, goes into this like piano riff um, where it's like, what, what is this clocks by Coldplay here? Uh, who is it? What is this? Is this Coldplay? Chris, is fucking Chris Martin. Is Chris Martin playing clocks. Um, fucking, uh, he's gonna like X and Y. Is it fucking Viva Viva La fucking Coldplay? Viva La Vida. So maybe we could hear some of that ending there with the piano and the gang vocals and all that. Try as they might, cannot resist it. They they pull it off. It's Why like, resist, bro? Why resist? Because I'm like, what? Coldplay? What are we doing? Dude, but look, look, in defense of Coldplay, parachutes and a rush of oh, to the head. Yeah, fucking. I'm totally with records. you. I totally agree. I love the albums. I have nothing wrong with Coldplay. I'm just like, I didn't expect the song with whoa gang vocals to abruptly turn into like lights go out in the campus house time that i try it's just like but it's great they pull it off it's ambitious it feels like it feels like this should be the ending song like when i was listening to it the first time i was like oh this must be where the album ends and then i looked up and I'm like oh they have another album and it, and it makes sense why the next song is actually the closer yeah. but i'm like i already loved the song i love the gang vocals and then it like goes into this piano thing that at first i'm like again surprised by but like i'm so satisfied by it so i don't know i just really like again that the ambition here the big swing they're taking yeah um and to your point you know scattered few scattered and few it's clearly like a a notion that that maybe bands from the sort of christian punk world find resonance in of like this idea that repeats in the hebrew bible about god scattering israel among the people and only a few surviving among the nations or if you scattered or scattered few returning like i think as that's applied here it's sort of about like wolves and sheep's clothing right like yes um which could obviously apply to a lot of things right now um yeah again the idea of like false leaders is it is it trumpism among evangelical that those who use their power maliciously within the church i don't know exactly who the there could be any number of candidates for that but i don't know what do you think yeah it's the reality is that and unfortunately, this could be applied to right too many within the evangelical world, mm -hmm. which is a bummer. It is, um, but it feels like a, a I like a culminating punk anthem on that topic with a crescendo of wow, 
love it love it and then that drops out just the piano it's great i don't know yep. this song really really works for me so and talking about we could i mean we've been going on and on about all the big swings and trying yep. new things nothing is more evident on this record than <laughs> trying something big and new and yep. on closing track song. yeah ghost Another blues band. I'm in a smoky bar. Mm-hmm. Some whiskey. A lady walks in. She's not from around here. <laughs> Looking back, I should have seen the clear. Drugs and the alcohol abuse. A flimsy patchwork of personalities. You made charming quirks out of OCDs. And it's strange, cause they're starting to tell your sad story. Oh man, talk about a journey! This, yeah, uh, the song is so lurking and creeling, bro. Okay, this is another <laughs> Ted's vocab corner. <laughs> what is creeling? Is creeling a word? I I, I don't know. I don't. I know googled what... it and could find no evidence for creeling. So Ted, tell us about creeling. Um, uh, I, yeah. Let's see. I mean, creel is like a, a like a fishnet thing, like a catching a fish. I think a catching wicker creel. work basket used for carrying fish. Yeah. Okay. So Does like, that apply to this? So I'm like, let me. We're getting fish basketing. <laughs> if you, are you like you're catching fish down there? I guess you're. I don't know. You smeagol. You're you're golem. You're lurking and creeling with a basket, trying to catch fish <laughs> under a bridge. Is this like? Something in the way where it's like it's okay to eat fish. He's under the bridge eating fish. I don't know. Um, whatever's happening here, he's a he's a Red Hot Chili Peppers fan. He's I think under so. the bridge. Um, Andrew, this song has everything. Uh, <laughs> we got we got strings. Yeah. We got throat singing. We got we haven't even gotten there yet. We bro. haven't gotten there. We got layers and just builds. Great guitar line. I don't know. It's another one where I'm like. <laughs> Another in a series of like what is happening uh, in the intro where I'm like blues rocky lead guitar that's unlike anything they've ever done. Uh, like and then in there is and I tried try as I might, I couldn't put my finger on the worship song melody <laughs> that it was. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? For that part. Wait, hold on. Like, 
Dandies. I don't what, know. What is that? It's got a real uh, G suspended dun, chord dun, sort of dun, worship song dun, template. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, that is that is a look. Look, Magpod Nation. Tell us. I know somebody out there yes. knows. I know the worship it, song. Yeah, I, I can hear it in the back of my head. Yeah. I can't. It's been driving me crazy. I, what is it? Let us somebody, know. Somebody help us out. Um, but it's just yeah. I had I had my 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 phone flashlight on for that. It's a real <laughs> lighters in the air vibe here. Yes. And again, like not that any of this sounds bad. It's just it's not really my vibe for about the first half of the song. Um, but damn it, if it isn't so satisfying by the end, like the first time we hear that chorus, it feels a little cheesy to me. But again, by the time that we get back around to it after all that buildup, I'm like, oh, this is all of this again is worth getting to this moment because it's such a satisfying journey to that point. Um, we should say Ted's son Herbie on lead guitar here, which is pretty cool. I don't know if he's doing that bluesy stuff, but Tim Van Doren also on some guitars here. The liner notes say that our dude Jason Reagan played additional guitar on Imagination, which is not a song here, but I think Ted said that that was the original name for this song. So I'm thinking Jason's on here too. Lots of guitars, lots of vocals. Um, but yeah, this 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 buildup with strings starts at like 240. And then the full band comes back in with all these little elements that build and build. So could we hear some of that oh, yeah. section? Ooh. You know you're about to give in. Everybody prepare your body. Yep. <laughs> so good. Gotta get that guitar part on top of it that comes in. Here we go. Uh, so good. That's uh, so good. It's Dude. so good, man. This is like the best of things that I loved about. 90s pop rock <laughs> yeah because like, this this song has a lot of the elements that i loved about um certain pop rock bands of the of the late 80s and 90s um, they didn't have throat singing bro no but this and i, I know mean, what you mean yeah. I, I mean this in the i don't know if ted would take this as a compliment but like this is like given giving me like toad the wet sprocket vibes sure yeah yeah, yeah. and i can see that and I, 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 I'm down with some Toad the Wet Sprocket. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I, dig, I dig this. I dig There's it. There's like a, a Baroqueness to it that is like not no, 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 so no, cool, no, man. No. I like when I was like, so where'd you get those throat singers? And he was like, no, no. Like he just went into it. I was like, oh, shit. Oh, shit, um, it's fucking Ted, bro. Just that, yeah, that buildup of the like layers that great guitar line the with the different vocal parts coming in 
the strings again. It's just so irresistible. By the end, I'm so into it, and it feels like a great closer to the album. Um, yeah, I talk about a big swing, man. I don't know. Like, it's another one that for the first, you know, half or so, I'm kind of like, hmm, not sure if I can follow you here. But then by the end of it, I'm like, oh, this is amazing. Like, this is great. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go along on the journey to reach that incredibly satisfying huge finale I feel like i'm floating up into the stadium after holding my letter in the air for a long time um, from what i can tell this is their longest record yeah it is at, all, at yeah. almost 45 minutes right but it yeah. it doesn't feel like lost at sea was is shorter than this record in terms of time uh but it feels right. longer Yes, ten, song, ten songs, not right. you know, thirty-nine minutes. Well, and these are these are sort of like epics, but they don't yes. have those like long soundscape things that Lost at Sea had, right? Like machine gun intros and helicopters and all that. Stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, the, there's, there's a, a sort of there's objectively more going on on this record though, like in right. terms oh, of yeah. like like we talk about loss at sea being like overproduced. There's like so much stuff going on. There's right. like, they threw a whole lot. More <laughs> Everything at this, is here. But it, yeah. but it works. It works. It works. It they pull works. it off. That's what, it off. that's almost every song where I'm like, this element is here too. And then by the end of it, I'm like, God damn it, guys, you did it. Of course, this element's there too. God, God damn it, it Ted. You son of a bitch. <laughs> you you did it. <laughs> you um, son of a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, he I I don't know. I I really really I really really like where this culminates and yep. um I don't know. I you said something earlier that I was going to comment on that now I can't remember what we were saying, but I do think that there's a level of sort of um <laughs> we joked with Ted or I joked with Ted cuz I'm always bringing this up, but the like the thing from Walk Hard about like we need an army of didgeridoos. <laughs> like we're so close to an army of didgeridoos at the end of the song. I know. We're like the most Brian Wilson Ted is going to get. We probably. need piano and strings and throat singing. <laughs> and guys. throat singing. They're like, are you sure, Ted? And he's we like, need, trust me. We need more vocal guitars. Yeah, but it works. It's so good. So anyway, I, I really, I really like this ending a lot. Um, lyrically, I feel like this is one that again kind of go either way. Like, is it about? a bandmate who sort of like messed up and disappeared. Is that the ghost or is it like a self critique of how he sees himself or fears that he might be seen, you know, cause it ends with I'm on my own, me and my imagination. But a lot of it is about this sort of like figure who used to be, you know, band with him and then he didn't show up. And there's kind of a ghost wandering around town, but I'm like, is that him? I don't know. What do you think? There's a lot going on. I don't know. I think it's really cool though. Whatever it is. I like this um, idea of a ghost wandering around, creeling and lurking. I mean, it could be, I mean, Ted talked about like how before he, you know, went through his, his divorce that he was doing a lot of drinking. This could mm, be, yeah. the ghost could be the ghost of Ted past. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. You I know, like that. looking mm-hmm. back, I should have seen the clues behind the drugs and the alcohol abuse. Right. Um, you made charming quirks out of OCDs. Yeah. And maybe like, maybe he was, this is a part of yeah. uh, past him. And there's like, you know, you, but you're still around. So there's that, that part of Ted that maybe it's still around. Yeah. Um, lurking and Creelan. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think that's, I think that's really interesting. I, 
I, I, the more that, yeah, I look back on those lyrics, the more I'm like, oh, they, that could, that this, this could easily all be about him and not some other figure or whatever. Well, that's uh, easily one really deserved. <laughs> sure uh, was. Lots to chew on for us. This is another uh, classic in the mold of Magpod long eps. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, 13 songs, like you said, you know, they recorded 20 for the Kickstarter. They put out most of those other ones as as singles before this that they didn't end up on the record. So that's that's a lot of songs. And uh, yeah, I don't still know. Still waiting, it, still waiting for my CD and my yeah, vinyl. Well, hopefully coming soon. Yeah, Jesus, what the fuck, guys? Um, but yeah, to your point, it there are a lot of songs, and there's a lot to a lot of these songs. But it doesn't feel. I've listened to this a lot over the last few yes. weeks to really settle into what I think about it. And I, it never got sick of it. I never am like, this is too long. Like I don't, even if there's a few songs that aren't totally for me, I, I wouldn't, there aren't any of them. Like we could have lost this one. Like I, it feels satisfying as an, as an amount of songs and as a cohesive piece. So anyway, Craig's bro, Ted and Steven, proud of you guys. I think you should Tim. feel Tim also, of course, but you know, I don't know him, but uh, <laughs> I wish him all the best. Um, He's off yeah. Creelin somewhere. He's probably Creelin. He's Creelin around Europe. Where is he? Canadian? European? I can't remember what he said. I thought he's um, somewhere in Europe. Yeah, sure. Um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 we've been waiting a long time for this record. We've been waiting a while too. It's been a while oh, to, wow. to, to talk about it now too. And I'm really, really glad to have this as part of the Craig's Brother repertoire. I want to see them live, please. Yeah. And I want them to keep going. So um, enjoyed this discussion. Enjoyed digging back into to the brother for these couple episodes here um let us know what you think about this record very eager to hear people's thoughts at magnified pod on instagram facebook and twitter follow and subscribe to the pod if you haven't already and give us a rating or review we'll read your review on the show email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com you can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763-8727 magpod and support us over on the patreon patreon.com slash magnified pod Get in on that Discord, compare our different uh, InstaFest uh, lineups and, and Spotify wraps and all that. Um, pick up some new season four merch at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com. Thanks to Small Step Records for sponsoring us. Go to smallsteprecords.com to learn more. And thanks to Shadow Producer Jason and Bruno at Unoriginal Vinyl for our artwork. Well, I think I hear the voice of the spirit begging us to shut the fuck up. We'll be back to try to make you go astray next week when we'll discuss David Bazan's Dark Sacred Night. Pretty catchy, man. Dude, it's fucking catchy as shit.
here I am at the end of the episode. Is nosebleeds my number three? Mm. I don't know. No, I've got to stick with imposter You're syndrome. With it. All right, all right. But who who is doing? Is that all Stephen on guitar for nosebleeds, or is uh. Tim Van Dorn doing? Um, any of that because he does the it only says lead guitar uh by tim van doren on putrefaction and earning the hate yeah i mean tim does the guest uh lead vocals <clears throat> but i think that's uh it's all steven shredding it up steven just shredding like a motherfucker Shredmaster. i know man that's um i mean he had some big he had some big shoes to fill for for shreddiness but yeah he stepped up to the plate and he's um He's lurking and Creelin. <laughs> always, I've always said that um, <laughs> Stephen is a is a is a big Creelin, big Creeler. Here in the way he shreds, <laughs> big Creelin boy. <laughs> For more shows like this one, visit RockCandyRecordings.com.